I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1-5, through 5, Solomon writes, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Solomon starts off the seventh chapter of Proverbs with a familiar plea for his son to embrace the words that he's speaking. He spent the better part of the previous two chapters urging his son to refrain from engaging in sexual immorality. Unfortunately, there weren't a whole lot of people in Solomon's time who were more experienced in the perils and pitfalls of sexual promiscuity than Solomon was. Nevertheless, it's worth remembering that God can accomplish his perfect purposes by means of an imperfect person. Jonah, for example, was sent by God to warn the city of Nineveh about their sin. After trying to weasel his way out of going, he finally showed up, told the citizens of Nineveh to repent, and went away saddened and angry at God because they actually listened to him. They repented. Jonah's heart certainly didn't reflect God's heart, but he was used to accomplish God's perfect purposes anyway. Similarly, Solomon was guilty of adultery many, many times over, but knew enough about it that he also knew that he didn't want his sons to go down the same path. Solomon starts off by showing that he was very familiar with the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which includes God's charge to the Israelites after having given them the law of Moses when he told them, you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. The people had thought that if they upheld the law completely, they'd have eternal life, thereby overlooking the purpose of the law, the real purpose of the law, which was to conclusively prove that nobody on their own is righteous by God's standards. Instead, God was simply telling them to live by the commands because they prescribed a better life than the Egyptian or Canaanite cultures were capable of producing. Further, Solomon instructs his son to keep these commandments as the apple of his eye. Now, this word that gets translated apple would literally be translated as pupil. Think about how sensitive the eye is. I mean, it only takes a small particle of dust blowing into your eye to cause immediate discomfort. And actually, psychology studies have shown that people who have allergic reactions to pollen will experience the same discomfort in their eye at the mere sight of a photograph of a pollinating flower as they do in the presence of an actual pollinating flower. Solomon is saying that we should have the same sensitivity to God's commands. The slightest impurity in our lives should cause us immediate discomfort if we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, Paul wrote that the believer should walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's what Solomon is trying to get at here. Next, Solomon gives us a kind of strange command. He says, say to wisdom, you are my sister. Well, why would wisdom be like a sister? Well, if any of you guys grew up with a sister, you know that you're somewhat protective of her. There are times when you can't stand her, but if somebody says something derogatory or insulting about her, you'll instinctively try to protect her honor. This is how we should view wisdom as well. Further, there are certain things that we all know that we would never do or say around our sister. We clean up our act when she's around, more so than when she's not around anyway. So it is with wisdom. 
it'll prevent us from doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Specifically, Solomon's saying that it'll prevent his son from engaging with the adulterous woman. Solomon also says to call understanding our intimate friend. The only other place in all of scripture that this term intimate friend is used is in reference to Boaz, who is a close friend of Naomi's husband. The point is that if we call understanding our intimate friend, it will bless and protect us in the same way that Boaz blessed and protected Ruth. It'll ensure that we create relationships which honor each other and the Lord alike, which will serve to hold us accountable to someone who wants to help us become more like Christ. God didn't create us to be lone rangers, and wisdom and understanding will help guide us into relationships that honor the Lord. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6-9, through 9, Solomon writes, For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. It's ironic, if not horribly hypocritical, to see that while he's continuing to urge his son to refrain from committing adultery, Solomon uses someone other than himself as an object lesson. In here. Solomon tells us that at some point in his life, probably not too long before these words were recorded, he stood at his window in his house, looking out through his lattice, which would have prevented him from having been noticed. And as he did this, he noticed a group of naive youth. The word translated naive here might be better translated as simple-minded or a simpleton. The point is that this youth was about as sharp as a marble and about as intelligent as a rubber tire. Unfortunately, Scripture tells us that Solomon's son Rehoboam hung out with this type of crowd. With that being said, it's very well possible that this could have been Rehoboam's friends that Solomon had watched. Solomon tells us that he watched this kid passing through the street near her corner. The Hebrew word that gets translated as street here refers to a back street, actually, that isn't very well traveled. Just like you'll catch a rat only by setting traps around the edges of a wall rather than in the middle of the floor, the woman that this kid is pursuing has a trap set for him in a strategic location where few will notice. Solomon obviously had a clear view of her residence, however, and was in such moral decline that he did nothing to prevent this adulteress from luring in one man after another. Solomon had far more interest in sociology than he did in criminology, apparently. He wasn't concerned with the sin as much as he was interested in just watching these events unfold. So here's this kid, breaking away from his friends and taking the way to her house. When does he do it? Well, not at a time when people would notice. He waits until twilight, when most people would be at home eating dinner. But we should note that at twilight, it's still light enough for someone to see and know where they're going and know what they're doing. He wasn't lost. Oh no, this was intentional on his behalf all the way. Solomon adds that it was in the middle of the night and in the darkness, which tells us that Solomon stood there watching and waiting for the kid to come out. Was he concerned for the safety of the kid? Well, probably not. He'd probably seen the same type of thing happen on several occasions with other men, but the fact that he stayed long enough for it to be too dark for Solomon to see when he left means that he was undoubtedly up to no good. Jesus was once approached at night by Nicodemus, and in the conversation that ensued, Jesus spoke of himself and his purpose, saying, The light has come into the world, and men loved 
the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That's from John chapter 3, verse 19. And later in the book of John, Jesus said, If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's from John chapter 11, verse 10. You see, if we need to wait until it's dark to do something so that people won't notice, it most likely means that we shouldn't be doing it at all. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, Solomon writes, And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. In our passage today, Solomon turns the attention from the naive youth who wanders through the back streets to the adulterous woman's house to the adulterous woman herself. Apparently, Solomon was very familiar with the woman he watched seduce some naive kid who should have known better than to wander into her part of town or through her front door. We don't know how well Solomon knew her on a personal level, but it's evident that he at least knows her kind, unfortunately. Solomon starts off by describing her dress. She's dressed like a harlot. Now, this doesn't say that she's actually a prostitute. Rather, Solomon is saying that she dresses like one. Maybe her makeup is overdone as a way of drawing attention to her. Maybe she's wearing a shirt that's cut far too low and shows too much skin. Maybe her stomach is revealed by the cut of her shirt. Maybe she's wearing something that reveals her long legs. She's not going to waste her time trying to charm him with her personality. All that matters to her is that she's able to catch the attention of this naive kid. Sadly, I could just as easily have just described the way many young women dress today and the way they view themselves. They degrade themselves by trying to lure a man in by being visually appealing and showing as much skin as they're legally allowed to show. Men are easily drawn into such a trap. Sadly, the attention and attraction that she draws only serves to further deepen her into a cycle of insecurity and sexual promiscuity. It's very important for women to see themselves as beautiful because of who they are, not just because of what they look like. And that's because of this. Beauty will fade. And if that's where our self-worth lies, then our self-worth will fade over time as well. Having described her dress, Solomon now describes her demeanor. She's boisterous and rebellious. In other words, she's loud and obnoxious. She does what needs to be done to draw attention to herself, whether that means dressing the part or yelling, speaking above the crowd or speaking out of turn, whatever. She just wants the attention. And this is quite opposite the woman described in Proverbs 31, of whom Solomon writes, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Having described her dress and demeanor, Solomon now describes her domain. He says that her feet don't remain at home. This implies that she has a husband and is sexually promiscuous while he's away. Husbands, remember this. God designed women with a desire to be seen as attractive by their husband. If he stops showing interest or attraction in her, the likelihood of her looking for that interest and attraction elsewhere, unfortunately, increases. Wives, remember that there's something much more satisfying than that initial burst of emotions which characterizes the beginning of the process of falling in love. Husbands, you'd be wise to remember that too. True satisfaction comes in knowing that after many years, your spouse knows and loves you better than anyone else ever could have. The woman described in our passage only knows loyalty to her own heart, regardless of what God demands. And in her mind, if that means unfaithfulness to her husband, so be it. 
She'd rather be happy for a moment than holy for her lifetime, even if that means feeling dirty and used in the morning. Finally, Solomon tells us her destination. She's all over the place. She's in the streets. She's in the public domain where she can be noticed by men who should know better but can't control their eyes as they walk by her. Guys, you'd be wise to look away because your eyes are the gateway to your mind and your heart. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 13 to 20, Solomon writes, So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone away on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At the full of moon, he'll be home. Boy, did this woman have this whole thing rehearsed or what? The adulterous woman that has drawn this simple-minded kid into her snare has already imagined what a night with another man would be like. Once the image of such an affair has entered a person's mind, it's only a matter of time before they act it out. Why? Because imagining it eventually grows old and boring, if we're being honest. The more the woman fantasizes about the experience she'd have with another man, the more boring she thinks her husband is. The more boring and unappreciative she convinces herself that her husband is, the more eager she is to be with someone who makes her feel appreciated, exciting, and beautiful. Now, if some woman that you just locked eyes with suddenly kisses you forcefully, which is how Solomon describes this kiss, you might be wondering what kind of woman she is. So she immediately moves on to trying to convince this naive kid that she's a good person, telling him that she's in the area to make her peace offerings and to pay her vows. Sounding religious is a great way to make someone think that you're a good person, and guys fall for it way too easily. By the way, the same holds true for guys who try to impress a girl by pretending to be religious. Don't fall for this one. All she's doing is sugarcoating the sin that she's about to propose next. So next she makes it personal. She tells him, I came out here to meet you. In other words, I've had my eyes on you, and I already know that you're exactly what I want. Someone once said that there's a sucker born every minute, and this guy was apparently proof of that. Now the trap is sprung, and the hooks are locked in, so she moves in for the kill. Now she seduces him with imagery, telling him about the Egyptian linens covering her couch and the spices sprinkled on her bed. She couldn't have made it much more obvious that she was inviting him into her bedroom. Of course, he probably couldn't afford this luxurious setting, but her husband could. And besides, this simple-minded kid's place is probably too much of a mess to bring a woman back to anyway. Apparently, she got everything prepared ahead of time, so they didn't have to waste any time covering his scent or tracks in the house. This poor kid is thinking to himself, wow, this sounds so easy, everything's in place, everything sounds so glamorous, the only thing that's missing is me. And so finally... At the end of this proposal, she tells him that she's married. Now, did you notice that this was the last thing she said? Once she's got the hooks in and she's reeling him in up to the shore, she says, Oh, by the way, I'm married, but her husband is out of town. She's probably lonely, and the guy is thinking to himself, Well, you know, hey, I'm lonely too. Well, it sounds like no one would ever find out. It sounds luxurious, and it sounds like her husband, you know, maybe he's not doing his job. So thinks the simple-minded fool. But Solomon watched the whole thing go down, and he saw when the naive kid showed up at her place that evening. The person who thinks beyond the here and now would have walked away 
but the simple-minded fool doesn't think beyond a few minutes ago. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.